Ah, the when question. That plays out all life, because we like to know when. That's part of our curiosity as people. And uh, you ever plan a road trip with your kids, if you had kids when they were little? You're planning the road trip, right? And you, you've, you've planned for weeks. We're going to go on a family vacation. We're heading across the country. It's going to take us three days to get there. You pack up little bags with treats and with uh, little snacks and games they can play. And uh, back then, it was before we had videos and cars. But you'd find some way to entertain them, right? And this is, this is going to be a fun trip. We're going to get there. And you get in the car, and within a half an hour, or you hear the, when are we going to get there? And did you ever just get totally honest with your children? It's like usually we play the game, oh, it won't be long, you know, a little bit longer. We have to, oh, look at over there, the pretty surroundings. So what if you were really honest? This road is going to take three days. You are going to be miserable. You are going to fight with your sister. I can just hear it right now. You're going to complain. I'm going to tell you why did you buy that Coke at, at, the, at the rest area because it's going to make you have to go to the bathroom. And you know, Dad, as a driver, I can go for hundreds of miles without stopping. And you're going to be going, I have to go, I have to go. But I'm going to keep driving because it's what you deserve. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't treat our kids that way, right? We aren't honest about those things. when they have, But they ask that question, when? And we all ask the question, when? All the time in life. When, when, is, when is this time of unemployment going to be over? When am I going to meet that person of my dreams? When is, when is our house going to come through? When am I going to finish school? I mean, we, we want to know when. It's just a natural tendency that we have as people to want to know what happens next, right? We're going to be looking at a, at a very long passage of Scripture today, and that's a great way to start out as a pastor, right? I'm going to be honest this morning. We're doing a whole chapter Chapter 13 of the book of Mark. And uh, it, it's, it's one long passage. We're going to look at the whole thing. Why? Because I think we have to look at the whole thing today. We, we not, not from a time perspective, but from, from uh, uh, the idea and what's being talked about. And this is a passage that has been used or in some ways misused or abused for many, many years uh, by a lot of people within the church on trying to make it say something it doesn't say. And not really living in the thing that it does say and what it really is about. So we're going we're gonna to just jump into the passage and, and read it. And uh, like I say, it's a little bit lengthy, so bear with me on that. And what I want you to do in this passage, though, is really put yourselves in the place of Mark's audience. All right? So we have, uh, we've talked about Mark, who wrote um, this gospel, uh, probably through his interactions with Peter, who was a mentor of his, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who was there with Jesus through it all. And Mark is writing to or producing this gospel, which is probably a series of, of writings or sermons or, or interactions with people, probably Christians living in Rome in the 60s A.D., and we've talked before about their environment in which they lived, which was they were living under the persecution of Nero, uh, Emperor Nero, who was just a despicable human being, who, who is known for casting blame on the Christians, saying they were the ones responsible for all the problems going on in that community. He would literally light fires and, and then blame the Christians for doing it. All right, And, and these were, this was Nero, who also, we, we read the stories of him using, using Christians, followers of Christ, as human torches at his parties. Right? And, and sending them in to meet their death against animals. I mean, this was a horrible, persecuting person. Right? And, and that was Mark's audience. And, and what's interesting is back then, and, and this is hard for whatever they learned, what if I think reader were actually thinking whoever is reading this and speaking it to a group. Right? There's something in there we're going to discover grammatically that we want to make sure the reader says, don't try to fix this grammar, it means something. Uh, that doesn't make sense until we get there. So I'll explain that later. Trust me, it's really cool. Stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? 
Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress... The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with, his, with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. And if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. But I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So we've been working our way through the whole book of Mark, and then this is one of those passages that when you see it coming ahead on the, the calendar and the speaking schedule, you go, okay, this is a tough one. Because it's not just that we're going to be covering this big piece of Scripture, lots of words for the whole chapter 13, but just how do we wrestle through what's going on here? 
because it takes place in a different time than ours. It was Jesus speaking directly to some questions, talking to his audience. And, and then it's us saying, well, a lot of that already happened way back then. And some of it's still to come. And how do we wrestle through that? And, and what are the implications for us? And so in reality, we trap him with their questions, right? And a lot of this started with this, this scenario that played out in the temple initially when he came in and he overturned the tables, right? And he, he turned aside the money changers and the people selling animals for sacrifices, basically revealing to everyone that that old system is not what matters forgiveness. That's not how you're obsolete. And the picture he gave was through this cursing of a fig tree. If you remember that story, there's this fig tree that looked beautiful in leaf, but it had no figs. And so he, he cursed the tree, and, and basically we saw this picture going on of the temple is now powerless. It, it is not what it was intended to be, just like this tree is fruitless. And that started this long sequence of interactions with people trying to trap him. To the point where we, we, we see him talking about the temple and how that, that whole system has gone, and he has replaced that. He has turned their understanding of the kingdom of God upside down. He is the king of the kingdom. He is the Messiah. And so after these scenes in the temple, all these interactions, all these arguments, all these debates, where he kept putting the religious leaders, the ones who ran the temple system in their place, they're leaving the temple. And that was the last time he would be there. And one of his disciples, even after hearing all these things going on, turns and looks at the temple and says, look at that. Look at those stones. Look at this amazing structure. It is fascinating. It is huge. Because remember, the temple was the center of their life. It was the political center, the economic center, the social center, the legal center, the business center. It was, everything was wrapped up in this place that Jesus has denounced. Look at those. Look at this place. And, and Jesus says to them, I, I tell you the truth, not one stone is going to be left standing. It's not, not very long from now. This is going to be wiped out. And then it says they went and they sat down on the Mount of Olives, which was across the way, and they could see the place, right? And, and, and they could see the temple. And what we know about the temple is this was the, the third version of the temple. Uh, it, it had originally been built by Solomon, and through, uh, it, through conquering, it had been destroyed, it had been rebuilt, and destroyed at least partially again. And now this is known as Herod's temple. Herod is building it, and he was a tremendous builder, and, and in a way to try to gain favor with the Jewish people, let's rebuild this. And it was started that rebuilding process in about 18 B.C., so before Jesus came on the scene. And after Jesus died, it still wasn't completed. It wasn't completed again mostly until the mid-60s. But it was fabulous. It was fantastic. It had so much gold on it that people from miles and miles away could see it in the sun just reflecting. And the white stones were radiant, it was a spectacular place that represented what they thought was what mattered in life. And so they sit down here, and, and Jesus looks across and basically says, this is, this is all going to be wiped out. And so it says four of the disciples came and asked him privately, so, so when is this going to happen? And what are the signs? So what we need to envision here is, a, I think, a really intimate, personal conversation. What Jesus said in this moment was not for the masses. It wasn't this big booming sermon. This was answering some very personal questions by these four guys who sat there and, and had heard this. Everything they know, their narrow little universe centered around this temple. And now Jesus says that's going to be wiped out. Everything they know is going away. This seems like the end to us. So, so when will this happen? 
And what will be the signs? How are we going to know it's about to happen? When will we get there? And Jesus then goes on to really tell them what are not signs. He says, you know, everywhere we go and throughout all of human history, there have been wars and rumors of wars and violence. And and don't be deceived by that. That's what goes on. Don't think that's the end because that was common understanding. There's going to be a big war. There's going to be a big something. And then that will be the end. And that's when God is going to usher back in us as his people. That, that, That was their view. And Jesus says, when you talk about famines and earthquakes and natural calamities, and those things are going to happen, and once again, a big belief that something like that was going to be the big one. And that idea of birth pains was another very common term back there in the type of apocalyptic literature and their, their viewpoint of life. Uh, it was a very common Old Testament image. The idea of birth pains, meaning you go through the pains of birth, but eventually God's people will be restored. That's like that we really see that as that, that's what life is like in the entire time before Jesus will return. That's the nature of humanity. It's the nature of sinfulness. These are the things in a fallen world that happen. Don't get caught up in saying, is that the one, is that the one, is that the one? He also said, don't get caught up in people coming and saying they're the Messiah. They're the one. They're saying they're me. Don't don't get caught up into that. Don't get sucked into that place because it's false. And in this intimate conversation with these four, he's basically saying, I've been telling you for quite a while now what's going to happen to me. When I said we're going to Jerusalem, I mean, hear these stories echoing that he said before. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be turned over to the religious leaders who are going to be turning me over to the government, and they're going to kill me. This is, this is what's going to happen. And talking to these four, and say, what are the meaning of the signs? And, and Jesus is saying, focus on what I'm telling you. This is going to get really, really messy. This is going to get really hard. What I've told you they're going to do to me, look at that temple. He says, look, see it? Not just visualize it and see the majesty, but see that place? We've been in there arguing with people and talking with people for a while. I've told you how corrupt the system is. The people that run that system are going to do me in. And you're probably next in line. This is going to be hard. But Mark wrote this stuff to the audience in Rome. And and Jesus said this to his disciples, not to be a downer, but but to encourage them to faith and to hope and to endurance. And, And he says, no matter what, you have to keep telling people about me. He says, you're going to be dragged before people. After I'm gone, you're going to be dragged into the synagogues, into the councils. You're going to be there and you're going to be in front of them because you believe in me. Don't don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. But but keep living that. Keep moving on. This this passage has 17 imperatives in it. has 17 commands. Watch. See. Listen. Endure. Hang in there. Keep going. Know this. Watch. Those words happen over and over because it's, a, it's commands. This is how I want you to live. This is, this is the hope you have. All this stuff is going to fade away, but my word stays forever. He wants them to grasp that. And in this moment, he's saying, it's going to get hard, but I, but I want you to keep moving forward and keep proclaiming. Live life. Don't, don't get caught up in trying to figure out times and dates. He says later in this, nobody knows. I don't even know. Only the Father knows. And if Jesus says he doesn't know, then it probably doesn't matter that we know. Because what's important is the perseverance and proclaiming his name 
and, and living who Jesus is and living out the kingdom. That's what matters. What's interesting in this passage, he doesn't say, when you get dragged before people, don't worry, I'll rescue you. He says, don't worry what you're going to say. I'll give you the words. That's an incredible promise, but that's also really hard to hear. What I want to make sure we understand in this passage is that almost every word that's spoken in this passage took place in the lifetime of those disciples. It, it, it took place when the, until the temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD, in the, the siege of Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, and, and this was stuff that they were living in and they were going through, and Mark's audience was right in the middle of it, right in the 60s. They, they, were, they were right there. And so... Jesus is looking at his followers, these four close ones, saying, you have to hang in there, not just hang in there. You need to live, and you need to be proactive, and you live with hope and confidence and trust that what I am seeing, there's this switch. There's a switch in what's going on where Jesus up till then is saying, there's wars and rumors of war to people. Mark wants to make sure that whoever is reading this to someone else, to a group, knows that what he says here means one thing. And, and it, basically what's odd grammatically is that it says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, and that's a, that's a neuter noun, so it's like it. It says, where you see that standing, where it does not belong, standing is a masculine participle. So we have a noun, which doesn't make sense grammatically. And what is implied in that is that Mark is talking about a person. Not necessarily a thing, but a, a person. And what's challenging for us is we don't actually know who this is talking about. There are all kinds of speculation. We do know that this phrase, this idea of the desolation of abomination, uh, uh, came from the book of Daniel. What it's implying that we don't fully understand is there will be someone, something happen in the temple that, that is so sacrilegious, that is so outside of what God wants, that Jesus says, when you see that happen, this isn't a time to persevere and say we're going to move into it. He says, you, you head to the hills. Get out of there. What's going to happen is what I said would happen, and the temple is going to be destroyed, and it is going to crumble down. We know that something like that happened between the years 66 and 70 AD, a time of deep turmoil and deep struggle when the, when the city of Jerusalem was once again overtaken, so the Roman army came in to squash a rebellion and a resistance. It, millions of people died. And there was deep starvation, there was cannibalism, there were civil wars. In the year 69, there were four different emperors of Rome. And through murder and civil war and destruction and violence, that one just took over the other. And it just resulted in this incredibly horrific time. And Jesus says, when you see that happening, get out of here. You're on the roof praying, which was like a flat top roof with stairs that went down the back. Do not go inside. There's no time for that. When you see that, I, I hope this doesn't happen in winter because it will be horrific. And, and God help women who are pregnant or nursing mothers. But you have to get out of town. We know the destruction that happened in 70 AD. And, and basically Mark is telling people in Jesus' words that you have to do what I say. You have to get out of town when you see that. This is not a time like you've always known for centuries where when trouble comes, you run to the temple for protection. There is no protection there. That's a false system. That is the current idolatry. There will be no help there. You need to flee. Why? Because it says God is going to save a remnant of people. And so you need to get away. You need to run. 
And he says in this passage later that you'll, you'll recognize when that happens just as you can recognize that it's almost summertime because of the, the way the leaves on the fig tree come out. You know, summer's just around the corner. It's that, it will be that obvious to you. And when you see it, you've got to flee. That's a very different view than hang in there. It doesn't say when you see troubles come and get out. This, this is a very particular thing that happened at that time and in that place. The temple was destroyed. The life they knew, what they saw as security and comfort and protection was gone. And they scattered. And then it moves on and we we have a first glimpse into something that's going to happen after the lifetime of the disciples. It says, in those days following that distress... And sometime in the, the period that follows, between then and now, sometime during that time, it says the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. We've, we've switched now to something, the second coming of Jesus. And once again, these, I think there's, a, there's always been a debate about this idea of what's going on in the cosmos, right? The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And, and people have tried to say, well, is that talking about there's a sign, something that's going to happen, that's a sign pointing, well, now Jesus is going to come. I, I, I think because of the language going on here, it says, at that time, Jesus is coming. I think the, the craziness of the cosmos is happening because Jesus came. As Jesus returned, it, it squirreled everything up. What happens after the birth pains. What is going to be given birth? And it's this. This glorious scene of Jesus returns. goes back and, and he's talking to his disciples again and he's, he's painted this picture of what's going to be a challenge and what's going to be hard and why you need to get out of town. But someday, this is what's going to happen. And then he backs up and goes through again. So, so pay attention to the fig tree. That's going to be your indicator of getting out of town. And basically all of them saw that happen. And then he says, but the hour of the day for when Jesus returned, no one knows that. Not even the, the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So what? be on your guard. Be alert. You don't know the time. This, this is one of those sermons that you wrestle through. And I've probably come up with ten different ways to preach the sermon. Because you look at it and go, okay, I don't live in 64 AD. I don't live in Jerusalem. This was not my experience. Jesus said this was going to happen. Jesus said that this is what's going to happen to the temple. And we know he was talking about that time in AD 70 and not some uh, tribulation period later. He's talking about what happened historically then. And we know it because he promised it would happen. The temple is going to be destroyed, and then it was. And, and if, if this were talking about the end of time, why would it say don't go back in the house? Why would it say run to the hills? It, it wouldn't matter if that was the end of the time. Right? But God was going to save a remnant of people. So get out of town. Why? Because that's what God's and God has called us to do. That's what Jesus' life has called us to do. And so the end of time is sometime else out there. And the idea of living in birth pains covers our entire time here. Between when Jesus left and when he comes again. That's the, the birth pains. But what we know is that childbirth brings about a glorious result. Well, when it talks about this is birth pains, that's, that's actually a statement of 
of hope, not a statement of, of pain. It's real. The pain is there. When it says this is the birth pains, birth pains lead to something glorious. And so that's the hope we have. Just as that Old Testament imagery of God's going to restore his people and birth pains is what we're going through now, but someday there'll be this glorious life that comes out of it. This is a passage of hope. It's, it's Jesus telling his disciples, not just, hey, hang in there, it's going to be hard. It says, it is going to be hard, but you know what? My word stands forever. Everything else will fall, but my word will last. I will last. What I've said is true. Hold on to that. Don't ever stop teaching about me. Don't ever stop proclaiming who I am. Don't ever stop living the life that I've called you to live. Why? Because it results in this glorious thing. But there's pain now. See, the world doesn't end in violence. It ends in birth. It it ends in Jesus' return. And so we say, what what do we do with this? Well, I think Mark wrote this to his people, Jesus said this to the disciples because he was trying to dampen apocalyptic fervor. It was bubbling up everywhere. Is this the end? If you were living in that place in the late 60s AD with, with all these different emperors and this incredible persecution, and you would think this has to be the end. And so people are coming saying, it's over, it's over, follow me, follow me, I'm the Messiah. And so you, you want to get caught up in that stuff. And just like these days, we have people that have websites with keeping track of how many wars there are. You ever seen those? Like this rapture countdown kind of thing? And they figure they can figure out the signs by calculating things. Jesus says those aren't signs. Those are non-signs. No one knows. Don't waste your time figuring out a timetable. Why? Because it's like the owner goes away and leaves somebody to keep watch. You don't know when he's coming back. Everything has been done to prepare for it. It could happen any time. So be on the alert. Watch. Pray. Live. Because you never know when it will happen. They're giving an exhortation that inspires faith and endurance and hope, and we need to grab on to that same exhortation. This is a warning. This passage is a warning about don't get caught up in what people say and who they are. Don't, don't get caught up in, in kind of the end times fervor or enthusiasts. But also don't be an an end times nonchalant. Don't sit there and say, well, it's never going to happen. We haven't seen anything happen. Or in a false sense that the reason we have those freedoms is because we've been really good. And we've been really faithful. Too bad about the people who are being beheaded for their faith. You see, everywhere throughout history there have been people who undergo intense persecution because they know Jesus. And that's what Jesus... Seducing doesn't come because it's the end. It comes because you know Jesus. And we can see it in the news every day of things happening to people around the world because of Jesus. And they keep boldly living and boldly proclaiming who he is. And that's our call as well. This passage that Jesus gives is a warning both to don't get caught up in that stuff, but also don't ignore it. It's completely applicable to us today. This passage, this call to watch. All those imperatives apply to us. We can't be caught up in false hopes. We also can't be paralyzed by false fears. We need to make sure we don't break our resolve. When we see things potentially falling apart, do we we keep our resolve? 
to know God and to know him well, to build our lives on Jesus. It's a warning about don't be deceived. And it's a call to build our life on Jesus. You see, the danger in that time was that they would, I mentioned before, they would, they would rush to the temple for security because they saw it as impenetrable. They saw it as safety and protection. Jesus says, don't, don't run to things like that that don't actually provide anything. That's being destroyed, but run to me. Live a life based on me. Be ready for anything at any time. Watch. And what we have to understand is that watching is not just seeing and observing, but, but it's discernment concerning realities. It's being able to look at things and evaluate them in the right way and to act accordingly. That means to watch, be on the alert, be responsive, live life. When I see this passage, and I, I try to visualize something in it, I mean, we see this story of what Jesus' life on earth was, and we, if we think, of, we think of that as a relay race, right? We're, we're in a relay race. And a difficult image is that baton that gets passed is the baton of persecution in the name of Jesus. And John the Baptist lost his life, and he passed that baton to Jesus. And Jesus passed that baton to his disciples. And those disciples passed that baton to us. And we are running that race. And in the words of Apostle Paul, we want to run the race well. We want to cross the finish line. The challenge is in a passage like this, because we don't know when Jesus will return, we're running a leg of the relay, but we don't know if it's the third leg or the fourth leg or the last leg. We don't know. All we know is that we have to run the race and that we have to proclaim Jesus' name until we pass that baton on. We each have an obligation to live a life of of joy and hope and faith and endurance that Jesus says he will give us in the midst of whatever life brings our way. We, We live that life. We pass that baton it's, it's been received by us, and, and we may be in the last leg. We don't know, and we need to run as if we are. But if we're not, we, we hand that off. And we know throughout Scripture that if we endure to the end, we, we receive the crown of life. And we, relieve, we get life to the full now. That's the call. This was a hard interaction, I'm sure, between Jesus and these four disciples. His four closest ones. These are the first four that he called, that left everything to follow. And when he says, it's going to be really hard. And they would understand later, it would cost him his life. But he would rise again. And that would give them power to take that baton and run the race. And they ran it well, because we're here. We received it. They changed the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Living in. What is this going to look like? How am I going to handle that? Is this, is this talking about me? Are things going to get harder? We, we don't know. What we do know is that we have the baton. We have the life of Christ in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who will give us words to say. We have the ability to look at this and remember when it talks about birth pains, that isn't a pointing to and the pains will get worse. That's not the point. It will get to the birth. 
we're experiencing what we're going through now and people go through struggles. Why? Because they claim to know Jesus. It's because of him that we may go through persecutions, but one day it will all be made right. And Jesus wants them to hold on to that. This story wasn't to bring fear, it was to bring hope that his word lasts forever and that he wins. That's why we're here. If we weren't convinced that Jesus wins and that there is something else, and some of that plays out now, it's the life Jesus gives now. But he also wants us to understand reality and understand what could happen and what does happen to those who follow him. He's saying, can you persevere? Can you hold on? Can you trust? Can you live with hope? Because that's what will enable you to handle the things that come along through my power, through the Holy Spirit at work in you. This is a time to live, not a time to give up hope.